0: Man, I do want to say hey again to everybody. Good to see everybody here in person. I always want to say hello to our extended family, everybody who's just online this weekend. Always love having you. Now, um, I thought I'd open up just with a little bit of a vulnerable moment. I need a promise of no judgment in this place. No judgment, please. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you with this. Now, there's one thing that brings massive pain and frustration to my life. And it is whenever the topic of a home project comes up in my family. It's horrible. Nothing makes me feel more helpless and hopeless than my wife saying the words backsplash, wallpaper, shiplap, which what even is that, all right? I don't even know what that is, or anything that's related to HGTV. And here's the reason why. I can't, everybody. I just can't. I don't have the craftsman gene that I know so many of you guys have in this church and you're judging me right now for not having. I just can't do this stuff. Last fall, I tried doing a simple repair on our sprinkler system. It wasn't working. I'm like, surely there's a YouTube video out there. I can figure this out. And 17 YouTube videos later and 17 hours of wasted time looking like a fool around my neighbors, I had to pay somebody hundreds of dollars to fix all of the other mistakes I added to the problem. Just two weeks ago... We had somebody from our kid's school give us an old faucet that they didn't need anymore, but it was kind of like a nice little upgrade for us. And so Nicole brings it home. She's all excited. She's like, hey, can you put this in, babe? I love this thing. And I did what every self-respecting husband does. I said, absolutely, babe, I will put that faucet in for you, knowing it definitely was not going to happen. So it sat in our mudroom for a couple weeks. I come home from work and I walk in the kitchen and there's the faucet perfectly installed. Working just right. Hot, cold water. It looked amazing. I said, Nicole, who put the faucet in? And she's like, oh, I had a couple families over for like a little kid hangout. And one of the dads put it in. (laughs) And I said, how long did it take this guy to put this faucet in? She was like, oh, yeah, less than five minutes. He just put it in just like that. Now, my wife knows also how to get me to at least attempt a project. She's learned how to manipulate me in this She uses threats. That's how she does it. Because she says, okay, if you're not going to do the home project, I will pay somebody to do it. And she knows I am so cheap, I would rather mess around with it and fail for weeks before just giving up and paying somebody else to do it. It's a horrible situation in our home. And what I'm trying to get at is I can make all the attempts, but usually it's an exercise in futility because I can't, everybody. I just can't. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Every single one of us, your thing may not be home projects, but if you live long enough, you are going to get to a point in your life where you just can't. You are going to run into things that you don't have the internal resources for. You're going to bump into stuff that you don't have the emotional fortitude, the spiritual dynamics, or even the finances to handle some of the stuff. You know some of these experiences. Some of us in this room, you know what it's like to look at bills that have more numbers on them than your bank account. You can't. You've had a relationship that is such a disaster and a mess, you would say, I don't even know what to do to fix this. Like, this is an impossible situation. You get an illness. You have a wayward child that's totally out of your hands. Honestly, a lot of us in here, you've maybe had a personal experience or a family member of even addiction. You're like, I just can't. Like, how do I get to the other side of this? You get to things that are truly impossible. Things that you cannot handle yourself. And if you are just joining us, we are now a month into this series, everybody, and we will go all year if we have to, okay? Until we get this. I promise you won't be that long, but we're calling it Take the Lid Off. I've been getting some awesome conversations around this. I think this has been a super challenging series for us, and we're going to keep leaning into it. But if you're catching up, basically the whole concept of this is that every single one of us has barriers in our spiritual life. We have blockages. There are actual things that we are doing that are preventing God's power from working on our behalf, from his presence flowing in and through us. And so what we are trying to do at the start of this year is break down anything that might be getting in the way of experiencing everything that you want in your life that God wants for you. So I want to talk about can you actually handle an impossible lid? What do you do when the lid just won't come off? Truly, an impossible situation. Things that you don't have the resources for? And what does it look like to actually invite God's involvement so maybe you can tap into some of his power and presence for it? I think this is going to be a great conversation. We are going to be in Matthew 17 today. And this is an interesting moment because this is Jesus' ministry in life. And at this point in time, his own followers run right into a spiritual wall. Like they face plant right into it. They have an impossible situation that they can't handle. It's too much for them. So Jesus enters the party halfway through when they're already trying to figure this situation out and he comes into the mix. This is Matthew 17, verse 14. It says this. When they came to the crowd, Jesus and some of the guys he was with, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. This is a hard situation. Anybody who's a parent in here, if you have a child that's struggling or suffering, you know just the pain of that and the difficulty of it. And you think of what this father's going through right now. He has a son who is, he says, suffering greatly, just going through all these dynamics. Just imagine the desperation of this moment for this guy. He's doing everything he can. But look what he says next to Jesus in verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. They couldn't do it. Now, why would he bring him to the disciples in the first place? At this moment in Jesus' life, he's getting a bit of a reputation, all right? People are hearing there's some miracle worker going around. He's healing sickness and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy stuff. And they're even hearing that his followers now are doing these things too. And so this guy's like, all right, I am going to find these guys. My kid's sick. If they can heal sicknesses, I'm going to try everything in my power to make this happen. Now, here's what's interesting. He just said, your disciples could not, right? Here's what's interesting about that. Shortly before this event— This is what it says about the disciples. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Okay, wait. So what's going on here? They have the power. They have authority from God to handle these situations and they still couldn't do it. They hit a lid. Something is going on here that's causing this not to work out. Now, Let's take a pause. I think this merits a little bit of encouragement for us. You think about it. These disciples walked personally with Jesus. They knew him. And they still had situations that they couldn't handle. At least this shows us that you can be a Christian. You can believe in Jesus. You can pray to God. You can do all the things. And still, you are going to run into stuff that just doesn't work out the way you want it to. Like, you are just going to face plant spiritually sometimes, and you're going to have times where you just can't. And so some of us, I just want to, like, maybe take some of the weight off, because you're wondering why everything is falling apart, and sometimes that's because that's just what happens in life. Like, that's just life. And there's no guarantee that you get that if you do everything perfect, it's all just going to fall into place. And as discouraging as it may be, hopefully it's a little bit encouraging that even Jesus' own followers didn't have everything work out their way. But this is what's fascinating to me. Jesus' response. Look what he says now in this moment. Verse 17. You unbelieving and perverse generation. Teddy bear Jesus coming out to play right now, Okay how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now, this is crazy to me because I'm like, Jesus, hold on. This guy's kid is suffering. This is kind of like a moment here. Let's not kill the vibe. I'm like, if I would expect Jesus to be like, oh, come here for a hug. Let me kiss it. Like, where's the boo-boo? I want to, I want to make you feel better. Like, that's how we envision Jesus. And instead, he's like, no, I, I don't have a teddy bear for you. I have a hammer right now. And you have to see what he's saying here. He's like, you guys are unbelieving and you are perverse. And when he's talking about this unbelieving piece, he's not saying, hey, you guys need more information. Clearly, I need to help you understand things. No, he's saying, you already have all the information. You are willfully refusing to really believe who I am. You are refusing to trust who I really am right here in this moment. It is a willful thing. He's like, you are choosing this for yourself. Not only that, it says you're perverse. There is a crookedness in you. You are like a dislocated joint spiritually. And Jesus is just laying it down, speaking to the spiritual disposition of an entire generation in this moment. I think it's worth asking, what do you think Jesus would say about our generation? (laughs) I just heard somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. I mean, truly, though, what if we gave Jesus the mic right now and was like, hey, Jesus, what do you think about us in our cultural moment? Now, I'm not about to put words in Jesus' mouth, but I'm wondering if maybe we would expect teddy bear Jesus, and he might surprise us with some commentary. And I can't speak for every single person in the whole cultural dynamic, but what I can say is, if you are a Christian, this is at least a moment for some accountability. Are you actually living a life that is counter to some of the cultural, spiritual dynamics? Is there anything even noticeable or measurable about your life that is distinctive? from what Jesus is speaking to even about this cultural dynamic here, he is exasperated by their spiritual condition. He's saying, you should be so much more effective than you really are. You are bumping into so many lids that you don't have to be bumping into. Now, he brings the hammer, but aren't you glad that Jesus is still so gracious even sometimes when you frustrate him? This is what I love about the goodness of God, because look what he does next. He says, bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Okay, thank you, Jesus, that he doesn't leave us hanging, even when we're driving him crazy. Now, hold up. Did anybody catch that detail there? We just heard that this kid was having seizures, and he's struggling, and then Jesus rebukes a demon. Now, I'm 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 wondering if maybe that caused some people to stumble. You're like, whoa, 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 hold up, Brian. Okay, I kind of liked your story about the faucet. You made me chuckle just a little bit, but let's not start going into weird demonic stuff, okay? This isn't one of those churches, is it? Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when we hear conversations about this, there is an immediate aversion because we think, oh, hold on, come on. Isn't this like the first century understanding of epilepsy and other conditions and seizure-causing issues? Like, surely we've moved past this, Brian. This is like the naive anti-intellectual approach to facing today's medical problems that we have all the answers for. Now, let me say this. I can absolutely understand why you would think that. And actually, I do think Christians many times do over-spiritualize some of their problems, and they blame stuff on Satan. That's not his fault sometimes. It's their own fault, truly. Can I give you some food for thought, though? Just press a little bit. If this is something that maybe you struggle with, you're like, oh, man, come on, demons, all that kind of stuff. Is it possible that your view of good and evil is limited? That maybe you don't have the full perspective? That there may be some things that we don't always recognize and see that's happening in our lives? Also, I challenge you, is it possible... That you're too influenced by our current cultural moment. You know, sometimes we look at our place in time and space, we think, oh yeah, we have all the answers. We have the monopoly on truth. And maybe there's actually some gaps, even in our own understanding, even in this place. I would push back and say, do you believe in God or some sort of spiritual force? Because if there are good, good spiritual beings, is it possible that there's bad ones? But here's really the press, everybody. If the Bible is right about this, and you don't agree, you are not going to be properly equipped to handle some of the things you're going to face in your life. And the Bible definitely does not argue that every health condition or issue or problem in your life is caused by Satan and demons, but it does make an argument that this very well could be a dynamic at play in our lives at times, and we need at least be open to the possibility. Okay, that's the case. This boy is suffering. Yes, it has a health component, but for him it also has a spiritual dynamic that Jesus has to confront. And the disciples can't handle it. This kid's dad cannot handle it. It's too much. It is impossible. But what is hopeless for us is a snap of the fingers for God. And Jesus just speaks to this demon. And this kid is healed in a moment, everybody. Some of you need to hear this today. When you can't, God can. Whatever is too hard for you is not too hard for him. Whatever you feel like is impossible is literally a snap of the fingers for him. Nothing is impossible for this God. If he can heal, if he can raise the dead, if he can even rebuke demons, do you really think your problem is too hard? Do you think you've finally experienced the one thing that God can't handle? He can. I'm telling you, everybody, he can. With a word in a moment. But not only that, you have to see from this, almost, you would have to hear this today. It's not just that Jesus can. He cares. Jesus cares. You think the God of the universe and how much he probably has going on in his life. I mean, he's about to die for the sins of the world. This is a busy guy. And he has the presence to stop and bring his full attention to this guy and his kid and meet them exactly at their pain point, their greatest need. And he brings total resolution to the problem. Complete healing. Can you imagine the experience for this family? Just of the care of Jesus? Some of us in here, your perspective of God is totally sideways. You picture him as like some sort of unloof, uncaring, cranky grandpa. That's kind of what he is in your mind a little bit. And you don't want to bother him with your things. And like, he doesn't, he's not really interested anyways. But what you see here is that actually, God has a very genuine concern about your life. Every detail. And it's not only that he cares, he actually has the ability to handle the things in your life too. For any of us who's in a hard place right now, if you are in a hard place, you need to know there is a God who cares. He cares way more than you know. But it's not just that he cares, because... Then you just have a teddy bear God. You have a God who can too. You have a God who can. I remember a couple of years ago um, when I was living in Indianapolis pastoring a church there, there was a family that had their first child, this little girl, and they had one of the most nightmare health situations for her after she was born, just to this totally unexpected, horrific deal. And I walked into the hospital just to visit them and check in on them. And I had never seen something like this before. There's just every tube you could imagine connected to this girl, wires, cords, all of the things, the machines. And this was a hopeless situation. It was not a good prognosis. And you just imagine the weight that this family was carrying. And even in this moment, this was more than I had ever seen in my life before too. And <laughs> you feel pretty helpless. So you're praying, you know, the grandparents are doing everything, but it looks like the worst is going to happen. And weirdly enough, after months of this girl being in the hospital, just one day, random, no expectation, she's fine. No, not just like improving, she's fine. Like perfectly fine. And the doctor's like, whoa, 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 what's happening? We got to run all the tests and everything. And they're like, they're looking for the problems and they can't find the problems. They're just gone. And they're like, well, I guess, I guess we can dismiss you. We can let you leave because... We were going to bleed your insurance for the next six years here in the hospital. Now I guess you're going home. And it was just one of those crazy, miraculous things. And this girl's perfectly fine today. It's just one of those weird things. I remember a guy from high school. He was hard into gang activity. It's was like real stuff. He was in the middle of it, drugs, all of the things. And all of us would say, this guy is going to be dead by the time he's 20. He, there's no way he's living far past high school. It's over for this guy. And then sure enough, just on a random day, he has an encounter with Jesus. And he completely cold turkey, in a moment, becomes a totally different person. If you saw him today, you would never guess. He's just living a perfectly normal life, loving God, working a job, loving his family. It's like crazy. And here's the thing. I should not confess this, all right, in church. You know, you would not expect a pastor to say this, baby. But every time I see these moments, I'm shocked. (laughs) I'm never like, oh, yeah, that's what God does. No, I'm like, what? What in the world? How does this happen? I'm like always surprised because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to say these things happen, but it just blows my mind. And I'm reminded, oh, my goodness, no, we actually do have a God that can't. We have a God who cares. Now, don't mishear me. I absolutely understand that for many of us, our experience is not an immediate solution to a problem. I don't know if anybody else has had this experience. Sometimes God takes more than 30 seconds to fix my problems. Some of them take 30 years. Some of them, they never get a full resolution. And if you read through biblical stories and just the experiences of life, you see that God has his reason sometimes for allowing things to continue in our lives. But just because we sometimes have to go on a journey of even pain and trials, it does not change the fact that you have a God who cares. Not only that, you have a God who can. Now, let's pick this story back up. Jesus just transforms this family's life does an absolute miracle in a moment. Everything's different for them. And the disciples come to him in verse 19. It says this. Then the disciples came to Jesus in in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Talking about the demon. Now hold up. We always pick on the disciples because they are stupid, okay, throughout the entire Bible. They, they usually get it wrong, all right? We make fun of them, but usually there's a lot of us in there. Because um, if I'm the disciples, this is not the first thing you do. You should be like, hey, good job, Jesus. Um, <laughs> you're awesome. Like, way to go. But no, they go right to, well, how come we couldn't do that? To which me, I'm thinking, that's such a dumb question. Why are you asking that? Like, isn't the answer obvious? Um, yeah, you're not God. That's why. So shut your mouth. Like, that's the answer, all right? Thank God I'm not Jesus. Because I'm thinking, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, how about you go back to the spiritual kitty table where you belong? Because you clearly don't understand how this works. And they're asking him in private. The Bible never wastes words. You have to assume there's a little bit of an embarrassment here. You know, they've been trying to make this happen. Maybe they're doing like moves or something on this kid in public looking like fools. And they couldn't do it. And then Jesus shows up. And snaps his fingers and it's done. But let's think about this. The fact that they're asking is kind of impressive. Because they wouldn't be asking if they didn't think they could do it. They wouldn't be asking if they didn't believe there's some type of power possibly at work that would enable them to move. And you'll see in just a moment that Jesus didn't think it was pointless that they gave it an attempt either. But at the same time, they did hit a lid. Something didn't work. Every time you hit a lid, you have a perfect opportunity for self-assessment and reflection. Every time you bump up into something that's not working, that is a perfect opportunity to stop and kind of check where things are at because God will sometimes allow you to face plant spiritually to help you realize what's really going on in your life. He's sometimes going to check you. He's going to let you bump into the limits in your life so you can have an opportunity to see what's really going on. Now, here's the problem. Most of us, when we bump into the lids and the things don't work, what do we do? Try everything, right? You just start frantically trying to fix stuff. You start complaining to everybody else. You post it on social media and then you give up. That's the process. <laughs> Might I suggest something? Maybe actually try what the disciples did. Have you asked Jesus... Have you actually gone to God and said, Hey, God, why isn't this working? Why can't I do this? Why is there a lid in my life? Some of us, we need to bring some questions to God. Some of us, you need to ask him, Lord, why am I not seeing more of your tangible work in my life? I want to see it, but I'm not. Why? God why am I still struggling with this sin? It's been years. God, why am I still addicted? Why am I not overcoming this thing? God, why has my marriage seen no improvement in months or even years? God, why am I not seeing any spiritual progress in the people's lives around me that I really care about? God, how come I can't? Why am I missing this? What am I doing wrong? Where's the problem? Why do I have a lid? And I think many times we don't ask these questions is because it's scarier to confront the problem than just live with it. Cuz sometimes the facts are more scary than the issue itself. The truth hurts everybody. These guys are asking for the truth from Jesus. And he's not about to lie. He's about to drop a truth bomb. And he's about to say, there is a problem. There's a problem, everybody. And we have to own the fact. And we have to face it. Here's what Jesus says. The problem is in verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. He's responding to the disciples. He said, do you want to know what the problem is? It's you. (laughs) It's you. Merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer, everybody, okay? Dear Lord, (laughs) you're the problem. No, it's not that this spiritual force was too great. It's not that this was an impossible situation. You are the limiting factor. You're the problem. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, I understand there is nuance to this, everybody, and I'll acknowledge that. There are many reasons why things happen, but can we own something too? Sometimes it's just our fault. We're the problem. It's our issue to solve. Now, I don't know if anybody's like me. When I'm in the car, that's my, like, phone call time, all right? So I call family, friends, do all the work calls. The car time is called. Some of you have probably gotten a phone call from me while I was in the car, all right? So here's the funny thing about my car call situation. When I commute to and from work, there is one spot where every single time, without fail, I lose the connection on the call. It just goes dead. I hit a dead spot every time. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to, what time of day. I've learned it so well that I actually prep people now when I'm talking to them. I'm like, hey, I'm about to hit a dead spot. Just wait seven seconds and I'll be back, okay? Like, I've learned it that well. I know the exact spots. What's so weird to me about it, though, is my phone says I have perfect signal. I have the phone, like the other person's on the call, but then none of the equipment works. It doesn't matter that I have all of it. It becomes completely ineffective. Now, look at this. This line that Jesus says, because you have so little faith, is one of the most loaded lines, I think, in the New Testament spoken by Jesus. And many of us, you've heard this before, but maybe you really haven't understood it. Because Jesus actually is not talking about the size of their faith. He's talking about the effectiveness of it. This is big. Don't miss this. In just a minute, Jesus is about to say how even a tiny bit of faith can do the impossible. We'll talk about that. So it can't be the size of the faith that's that's the issue. It's the quality. So even when Jesus is saying little, you could even work in different words. He's like, it's because your faith is poor. You have shoddy faith. It's impoverished. It is totally defective. My phone, it's all the right equipment. I'm paying the bills for the service, but it still runs into dead spots. These disciples had all of the authority and power from Jesus, to handle this kid's situation, and they hit a spiritual dead spot. It was totally useless, even though they had all the equipment. And this is not explicit, but we see the hint in the text. The disciples say, why couldn't we do it? That's important. They didn't say, Jesus, why couldn't you do it through us? Or why didn't God do it? Why couldn't we do it? Somewhere along the lines some self-reliance slipped in to these disciples. Somewhere, they took it upon themselves to try and handle this situation. Maybe they got used to doing miracles. They got comfortable with it. Jesus was going on a trip, so maybe they thought it was on them. Somewhere, though, they didn't place their faith in Jesus. Their faith was in themselves. And here's the problem with that. Strong faith in a weak object will always fail. Oh, that was a good line. I'll amen, I'll amen myself if I have to, Brian. Good job, okay? That was good. I'll write that down after the sermon. Good job, Brian. I'll take some notes on that. Just track with me here. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is if the object is weak. Now, for all of our Colorado folk, you know this. If you've lived here for any length of time, you do not play pond hockey in Colorado. You don't just go find some pond and start skating around, because you know the ice is never that thick here, because it's two degrees today, but it'll be like 70 degrees next week or something, right? So it doesn't matter. You can walk across the pond like this, but if the ice is this thick, you're going through. All right? I don't care how confident you are. It's a weak object to put your faith in. And so these disciples, their faith was on thin ice, their own abilities. And so they fell right through, because it was a weak object. And I'm wondering, how often do we do this? How often are you putting the weight of your faith on a weak object? Some of us in here, you've had this experience. You put all of the weight of your hopes and dreams on another person. And they didn't exactly live up to the expectations. And you fell right through that ice of that relationship. Some of us in here, we put all the weight of our faith on our career, our financial trajectory, and then things do not go the way you had hoped for and expected. And you fall right through. That is a weak object to put your faith in. A weak object to put, it could be anything. Financial security, our own kids, our own success. These are weak objects, everybody. Where are you putting the weight of your faith right now? note here. Some of us might hear me saying, okay, Brian, I got it. What you're saying is, I just got to fix the faith thing. And that's why I'm, oh, I have all these problems in my life. And once I fix it, it's all going to work out. Like, that's what's going to, that's how, okay, so t- now where's the technique so I can fix all this? <laughs> can I add a little note? There's a lot of nuance here. You don't get a guarantee that you press all the right buttons, everything's going to go every way you want. You look through the Bible, you can still operate in perfect faith and God still doesn't allow things to pan out the way you had hoped for. And he has his reasons. And sometimes we don't even understand them. So this is not the message about you're a complete failure. You're not doing it right. That's why your life is hard. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to acknowledge from this text, sometimes we're the problem. It's us. We have to be open to that possibility that we're the problem. Now, thank God the story doesn't stop there, right? Jesus says, you're the problem. It's over. There's a solution, everybody. Who wants the solution now? Let's talk about fixing this thing, right? I want, to make, I want to make this work. So what's the solution then? Jesus gives it. He says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, that line just preaches good, doesn't it? Doesn't that just sound good? I mean, it's like, yeah, Jesus. Those are the Jesus lines we like. I mean, it sounds good. I know, you're clapping, you're like, I'm not sure where he's going with this, but um, I'm supposed to clap right now. Um, I got a little bag of something here. These are actually mustard seeds. Now, this was the smallest seed they knew at that time in Palestine that Jesus is referencing. Now, I'm wondering, can, can you see that right there? Can you, can you guys see this? Where's my 2020 vision people? Where's my LASIK folks at? Maybe one of you guys in the back, come on, squeeze really hard. I don't know if we zoom in, the camera won't even zoom in that far. This is what's funny. Jesus is saying, all you need is this right here. This is all you need. And you can literally do the impossible. Mountains will move. The power of God will not have any lids or limitations. Do you feel like you have at least this much faith? I mean, I look at this, I'm like, surely I have that much. And again, the emphasis here, Jesus is like, again, I'm not talking about the size of your faith right now. I'm talking about the effectiveness. Because where strong faith in a weak object always fails, weak faith in a strong object will never fail. Track with me. Your faith is only as strong as the object it's placed in. That's how strong your faith is. So you got big faith in small ice. I don't care what kind of strut or swagger you have, you're breaking through. Now think about this. If you're walking like this, (laughs) freaking out, you don't even know what the next step is going to be. If you're on rock solid ground, are you going to fall through? It doesn't matter how stupid your walk looks. It doesn't matter how weak it is. You have sure footing. So this is the point. It's not about the size of your faith. It's who your faith is in, everybody. What is your faith in? And Jesus is saying, if you even just have a seed this much in God, nothing will be impossible for you. It's not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God, everybody. And some of us in here, this is how big your God is. This is your problem. Your God is this big. You really don't think he can do anything. And so we slip back into self-reliance, trying to do it in our own power, because we're like, God, God, you really can't handle this, so I'm going to do it myself. Now, we know it's not an issue of God's size. It's an issue of our faith. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we have to smash the little container that we have God in, and get that lid off, so we can really experience everything He wants to do. So, how do we do this? How do you make sure you do not have effective, ineffective faith? And how do you really access even just a mustard seed of faith that works? How do we get a no-lids faith? I want to talk about no-lids faith. If any of you guys are new to the Bible, this is what's kind of cool about it. There's actually four different accounts of Jesus' life from four different guys. And sometimes they tell the same story in their own words. They give different angles to it. So Mark actually talks about this very event, the same thing we just read in Matthew. But again, he gives a different angle. And while Jesus is talking about their little faith, look at Mark adds this line. This is Jesus talking. This kind, he's talking about this spiritual force that they're battling, can come out only by prayer and fasting. Now, hold up. This is what's so interesting, okay? If you're new to the Bible, this is what's fascinating. Matthew, when he's talking about this story, he is giving the overarching principle. He's talking about faith. He's like, this is the big, art, big deal, faith. Mark, though, zooms in, and now he's giving practical implementation for that faith. He's saying, this is how you actually live this out. And so, you are going to face situations that you just can't. They are going to be beyond your personal resources to handle them. And so now Jesus is saying, this is how you tap into the supernatural power of God, so nothing will be impossible. He says, you must cultivate constant connection with God. These disciples, they slip into self-reliance. They're trying to do it themselves. For whatever reason, they lost the connection. They weren't tapping into the power. Just like my phone hits the dead spot, their faith hit a dead spot. They had all the equipment, but it wasn't functioning. But Jesus says, here's the problem the only way you can handle these types of situations, impossible situations, is by prayer. You need to have a real connection to me. Prayer, everybody, is the spiritual signal that connects you to God. It's the only way to tap into that power that you are going to need in these situations that you can't handle. Martin Luther was a famous church reformer. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer, everybody, is spiritual oxygen. It's literally how you breathe in the life and power of God. And so many Christians have spiritual asphyxiation. We are suffocating from our lack of prayer. And so we are experiencing none of the power and presence of God. So just know, if you don't cultivate a real vibrant connection to God through prayer, you are going to have spiritual dead spots. You're going to run into lids in impossible situations that will not be handled and cannot be handled. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, people kind of press up on me, you know, when I have like conversations and say, well, here's the thing, Brian? I don't feel connected to God. Like, I've tried prayer. I've put the effort in. It's just not working. And I understand that there may be a lot of reasons for that, but I'm going to meddle for just a minute, all right? I'm going to meddle a little bit. How is your prayer life? Really? Really, how is your prayer life? Because what I've seen is many times people talk about how they just don't feel connected to God. They don't sense his presence, and you peel back the curtains of their relationship with him. And it's kind of sad. It's weak. There's no real connection. There's no conversation happening. And so you have to understand, (laughs) why would you expect all of the presence and power of God to be flowing through your life if you don't have any priority for Him in your own life? Why would you expect that? I think sometimes we misunderstand this. We think, oh, well, it's supposed to be easy. God's like kind of my spiritual Santa Claus. Like, he just solves the problems. He's, he's my spiritual easy button. Like, that's how this faith thing works, right, Brian? Where's the buttons? This is supposed to be easy. Now, hear me. Salvation is free, right? You can't earn it. It is the grace of God. That is an easy thing. It is everything that God does for you. But can you hear me? Then? Hear this. Spiritual strength and power, that is not free, everybody. It is very expensive. And so many people, they think that God's just going to flow through them and do everything that they're asking them to do, and yet they've totally blocked up the connection. It is work, everybody, to tap into the very presence of God. It requires prayer. It requires cultivating this in your life. And some of us, this is just a reality check. Maybe you just have to really be honest with yourself. Maybe I have some spiritual dead spots. And that's part of the cause. You have to cultivate the connection. But there's one other piece here, and we'll land the plane. You have to disconnect from self-reliance. Now, I don't know if anybody in here is weird like me. Does anybody else kind of like when we get the huge snowstorms here? Does anybody else kind of like them? Am I the only weird? Okay, I got a couple. Okay, I got to collapse for the snowstorms, all right? Now, here's the funny thing. Most of the time, you feel like you dread it, right? Because you're like, okay, here comes the two feet of snow. It's going to be horrible. I can't get to work or do all the things Now, I do hate when they happen on Saturday night, okay? Because then there's three people in church and it's really awkward, okay? So I don't like Saturday night snowstorms, but any other day if we get a snowstorm, I'm like I'm kind of happy about it because here's what I love about them. They are a great reminder for me that I actually have no control over so many things. Every time I see the weather, I'm like, man, I can't even stop the sky from raining down flakes in the winter. Like, I can't even stop that. It's just going to happen. I got no control. And sometimes that's a really healthy thing, to have a moment where you're like, you know what? I can do all the exercise and eat all the vegetables, but that does not guarantee 80 years of a great, healthy life. It doesn't. You know, you can do all of the right things, read all the books, go through all the counseling. It doesn't guarantee 50 years of blissful marriage. That's not a guarantee. You can do all the right things, go to the right school, have all the right connections, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to go on the financial career trajectory that you always hope for. It's not a guarantee. There's so many things that you don't have control over. And that's actually a great thing to recognize. You can't. You actually need God. Like, you are dependent on him. And Jesus says, you have to get to the point in your life where you are not relying on yourself anymore, where you actually realize you have a need. And that comes through, he says, fasting. He says, you need the prayer to connect with God, but you also need fasting. Now, if this is a new concept for some of us, all fasting really is, is going without what you want to access what you need. So in the Bible, this is actually abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. It's where we deny our own appetites and desires so we can open ourselves up to what God really wants to do in our lives. And here's the fascinating thing. Even when you deny some of your own desires and appetites, you start to realize, oh, It's not even food what I really need. It's God. I need him more than even the physical sustenance in my life. He is the very source of my strength. He is the source of every breath I am taking. And the reason why so many people cannot conquer the challenges they face is because they have not yet conquered themselves. We are slaves to our own desires and appetites. And we settle for food and media and entertainment and other distractions, and then we end up missing out on everything that God wants to pour into us. We put a lid on our lives. So Jesus says, this practice, this practical implementation, helps you remove self-reliance out of your life. And it helps you access true God dependence and power. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into a whole unpacking of practically how to do this but I do want to put a challenge out there. If you are in here and you really would say, you know, I don't think my prayer life is probably what it could or should be. You know, we all go through those phases or you'd say, Brian, I don't even know anything about fasting or I'd like to grow in it. We have a website, webpage, nhills.org slash resources. Just this week, we have two separate sections that we added with prayer and fasting with some of the key resources we would offer you that we would suggest. And you can go through that and just kind of go on this journey of exploring this yourself. Now, let me say this. We have some people in our church that are actively living this out. There's actually a sizable population of women that are doing a 40-day fast from sugar and sweets right now. Now, I am not participating, okay? I'm praying for these ladies. I support you from a distance, but I will be eating cake later today at some point, all right? But we have some ladies do that. We have other people that do it at the beginning of the year. Like, this is actually a part of people's lives. It's something they do. The early Christians fasted two days a week. That was normal practice for them. I mean, truly, that was considered normal. So, if this is new to you, though, let me just do one little nudge, a little challenge. If you really want to access the power of God, you want to experience more of him in your life, this week, pick one meal and just pass on it. Like maybe a lunch this week. So, you know, I'm just going to skip lunch on that day and use it as an opportunity to focus more of your attention and energy towards God. And I promise you, if you're used to eating food, you're going to feel it. You will feel it. And when those little hunger pains come in, it'll be a reminder to you of, I'm really actually hungry for God. Like, I need him more than anything else. He's my sustenance. I am dependent on him. And so check out those resources because it's a way to help cultivate this connection with God, to experience him in new ways. And I want to put this last challenge out before we close up. Next Sunday, we are having a night of prayer and worship. 6.30 in this room, just one hour. It's not going to be a 14-hour thing, just one hour. But this is an opportunity to cultivate that connection, everybody. We want to give this opportunity for us to really seek him in this way, to experience more of his power so we can see him do the impossible. And I guess I want to put this challenge out to some of us. Would you prioritize even one hour to be able to seek God in this way? To cultivate this kind of connection with him? To shore up some of the dead spots in your faith? Would you have one hour for that? Jesus, on the last night he was alive, He went to his disciples because they were kind of spiritually slack, and he said, could you not keep watch for one hour with me? Could you not just pray for one hour with me? Could you at least make this a little bit of a priority? And I just want to challenge our church. Do we have one hour? Could we not make one hour? We strategically scheduled it not on a football day, okay? There is no football games for any of you to be watching at that time, okay? You're welcome. Not forcing you to choose. And this is open to everybody You don't have to be some spiritual professional. You can be totally new to the faith. It's for all ages. Nicole and I will be here with our three and our five-year-old. We want our kids to see us seeking God in community. This is for everybody. So I just want to challenge our people. If you are in town, if you can make the time, 630, we want to seek God together. You know, we can organize the event and plan all the songs and the time, but you have to show up. And I would open up your expectations. For some of us, maybe God wants to meet you next week, and he has something for you. For some of us, maybe you're planting seeds for a future season. You're doing the spiritual work right now. But for all of us, I promise you, God will reward the time. And this is the promise we have from him. If you will just practice a mustard seed of faith, if you will just put in a mustard seed of effort of some prayer and seeking God and depending on him, you have a promise. God will take the lid off. He will move mountains. Nothing will be impossible for you. Because when we can't, God can. Let's pray together. Lord, first we just thank you so much that you truly are a God who can. There are no limits to your power. There's nothing you can't do, Lord. Jesus, in the same way you cared about this young boy, In this man's situation, Lord, we know you care about us. You deeply care about the situations in our lives. And now, Lord, I really pray, would you just forgive us, God, for our little faith that we so often put everything on ourselves. We don't really depend on you. We look for so many other solutions, and our faith is weak. It's so little. It's not even a mustard seed. So, Lord, forgive us for putting lids on you, Lord. But now I pray, God, that you truly would help us get that mustard seed. Help us put this into practice. Help us really cultivate that connection with you, Lord. I pray against any spiritual dead spots in our lives. Lord, and I ask that you would move in power as a response. I pray against and over all of the impossible situations that are represented in this room, the health situations that families are facing, the relational breakdowns, joblessness, Lord just even a lack of connection to you, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in these moments, God, that we would see the supernatural provision and power of God. Lord, I pray that as we take these steps, that even with our weak faith, you would prove yourself to be the strongest object, the strongest person, the only thing we can really put our faith in. So we seek you today, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.